Welcome to The Water Tower, a podcast that's a sort of spiritual reservoir or backup plan for anyone who might just need a little extra encouragement to make it through the week. I'm your host, Lee Younger from Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And if you stick with us all the way to the end, you'll hear a full list of credits, including ways to contact us. For now, enjoy episode 59 called The Dangers of They by Brad Warren. First Timothy chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for mercy. I'm thankful for pity. I'm thankful for patience. I'm thankful for the way that my outlook changes when I think about those things. When I think about your patience and your mercy and your pity, I see myself differently and I see my situations differently. I see my relationships differently. I see everything differently. I'm praying that you would keep my mind in a place of honesty about who I am and about who you've been to me. It just, just, just makes my heart lighter um, to see myself and you in this light. Thanks for your word and thanks for what it does for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Everlasting
I'd like to talk to you about throwing rocks at people. There were five stonings or potential stonings in the New Testament. The first one was when these guys tried to stone a woman who was caught, you know, with another guy. They did it to trap Jesus, but he was too awesome for them. Too kind, too smart, too righteous. And in the end, they all left and he told the lady that he didn't condemn her either. She was better than this and that she could go home. This was in John chapter eight. At the end of that chapter, Jesus, in response to their questions, tells some folks who he is. And they decided to stone him for blasphemy. But, and this is how the chapter ends, Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So cool. He didn't shoot his way out, he just walked away. Cool as a cucumber. In chapter 10 of John, it happens again. Jesus tells them the amazing, life-changing, hope-bringing news that he is the Son of God. And they got mad and tried to kill him. Religious people, am I right? It says, again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. When Jesus plays tag, he is only it when he decides to be it. Maybe we should stop trying to make him do what we want and start listening and doing what he wants. The fourth example doesn't go as well, at least from our physical perspective. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen was stoned to death for telling people the good news about Jesus because it undercut the power of some leaders who were dedicated to their own ideas, wrapped in nationalism and cultural identity. From God's perspective, and Stephen's too, this was a triumph of sorts. Not the death, I guess. But while this was all going down, Stephen was seeing a vision of heaven and the last thing he did on earth was ask God to forgive the guys who were killing him. As our friend Glenn would say, that's pretty Christian. The fifth example happened to Paul in Acts 14. Paul was at Stephen's stoning, approving of it, though he went by the name Saul then. Fast forward through a blinding light conversion and a good friend named Barnabas, and we find Paul as a missionary in a town called Lystra. He does a miracle, gets confused with the god Hermes, talks everybody down and tells them about Jesus. And then some religious people come and convince the crowd to stone him. It happens about that fast in the scripture. I've always wanted to know more detail about that. Anyway, they thought he was dead, but through God's power, he got up and walked away. So why are we talking about this? Well, I wanna talk about who deserved it. 
Stoning is a punishment that's in the law of Moses. It was the capital punishment in ancient Israel. It feels barbaric to us, but at some point, it was a part of God's justice. I don't like it, but there it is. So out of these five examples, who deserved it? Well, the woman caught in adultery technically did. She had broken the law and gotten caught. Of course, she was dragged straight out of punishment to the feet of grace. Those guys, they didn't get what they wanted, did they? They wanted blood, either hers or his, but they got shown love instead. That's our Jesus right there. When we think blood is the answer, he shows us that we are wrong. It's love that is wanting. There was only one time that blood was the answer. And that time, on the cross, the blood was love. So maybe the woman deserved it. What about Jesus? Too much of my theology is tied up in him being perfect for me to not scoff at the idea of Jesus deserving punishment. But let's think about it for a second. He was claiming to be God. He was saying it right to their faces. If he had been wrong, of course he wasn't. We have the empty tomb to prove that. They didn't know that yet, but they had the miracles. Regardless, he didn't deserve that kind of anger and hate. He didn't deserve it. He's Jesus. Stephen and Paul, they were sinners just like the rest of us. But I think they were doing what God wanted them to do. They were telling people the good news. They were trying to pass on the words that set us free, the abundant life words. Jesus died so you don't have to be chained down to your own past. You don't have to keep score anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Each of them had seen a vision of the risen Christ. Did they deserve to be stoned to death? I'd say no. But Paul almost was, and well, Stephen was. It seems a bit unfair. What's up with that? Now, permit me a little digression. I want you to put aside any credibility that me being on Lee's podcast might give me. I want you to imagine for a second that I hijacked this feed, and let me ask you a hard question. Is God unfair? Really, is he? And nobody gets to do the self-deprecating thing and say, of course he's unfair. If he was fair, I'd be going to hell. Yes, yes, forgiveness is unfair. Thank God that it is. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this. We have been told that we shall not murder. We've been told for millennia that killing is bad. But have you looked around? There is death everywhere. Even before coronavirus, war, hunger, disease, abuse, concentration camps, it's horrible down here. And if he's in charge, does that make him complicit? If killing is bad, and it sure seems like there's a lot of dying, and God is sovereign, I wouldn't blame you for saying it isn't fair. Well, let me hit you with a few things. There is a time when killing is the right thing to do. Otherwise, we can't really read the Old Testament, can we? And where would the world be if the Nazis hadn't been fought? But I don't get to go around murdering people and it's because I'm lacking a few key things. One is knowledge. I just don't know what's going on. I don't know all that has happened. I don't know what's coming. 
how could I make a good decision? Better to just not do anything final. Another is authority. It's not my role now, is it? Jesus invites me to be a servant to people. The last shall be first in all that. I don't sit on a golden throne. I didn't make everything. I have no right to dispose of it as I wish. Maybe the biggest thing though is love. I'm just not good enough at it. So I stay in the kids area where nothing is sharp and all the electrical outlets are covered. I sing the songs and learn to play nice with others and I let the grown-ups do the hard stuff. Of course, we do know someone who has the knowledge, authority, and enough love to make those calls. Maybe we don't get judged by the same standards because we're nothing alike. Didn't he say something like, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine? That's Isaiah 55, eight, by the way. And what about his conversation with Job that starts out, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. So, uh, fair schmare, right? Maybe fair is a concept we should just leave behind. Yeah, okay, Brad, but weren't you the one who brought it up? I, I guess I did. Here's why. Fair is all about being judged by our behavior and getting what we deserve. God doesn't operate on that level, and we get in trouble when we expect him to. If we believe that our behavior changes the way God treats us, or should treat us, it causes us some major problems. Can we look at those together? I'm gonna say it again. If we believe that our behavior changes the way God treats us, or should treat us, it causes us some major problems. First, it's gonna be really disappointing. In this world, you will have trouble. It's in John 16, Of course, he also tells us to take heart because he's overcome the world, but the trouble is there, friends. If I could use magic to make God give me good stuff by doing good stuff, well, it hasn't really happened that way for me. What about you? Anybody else live through 2020? The second way that believing we can, through our behavior, change the way God treats us, causes us problems, is that it sets us up as judges. I wanna spend some time on this one. It sets us up as judges in two destructive ways, as judges of ourselves and of others. When we start judging our own behaviors, measuring them to see if they are good enough, then we are either gonna find ourselves living in guilt and shame, and another word for that is pain and disappointment or we're gonna find ourselves guilty of dishonesty, the kind of dishonesty that separates us from the Holy Spirit because we won't believe what he's telling us, namely, that we are getting it wrong. It doesn't end well. It's a game that we can only win for minutes at a time, and then the losing starts again, either pain or delusion. So why do we do it? Why does it come so naturally? Why does it feel right to us? because we want control. We live under a few miles of volatile air on a planet full of things that could kill us in a society that is built on winners and losers. We are desperate for some control. If I could do good things or perform a certain ritual or deny myself something and manipulate God or the levers of the universe or whatever 
then I feel like I'm in control. I judge my behavior to see if I'm fixing things or not. Magical thinking, they call it. We are not in control. That's the truth. And that would leave us as a frightened mess, except we know that there is a God that loves us. And if there's a God that loves us and he's in control, then we don't have to be. Now, where was I? Oh yeah, judging ourselves is a recipe for sadness. Well, what about judging others? Well, here we go. If we believe that if someone is good, then God should reward them. We also start believing that when someone is bad, then God should punish them. They are two sides of the same coin. And if we are in the habit of judging ourselves, then it's easy to get in the habit of judging other people. In business, this is called diversification. Judging others becomes our game. That's where the real rewards seem to be. I don't like being disappointed in myself, but there's something wickedly yummy about being disappointed in other people. Instead of just being dishonest with myself and the Holy Spirit, I can ignore them altogether and look the other way and tell you all the things that are wrong with those people. They are doing it wrong and they have it coming to them. Oh, the dangers of they. That word lets us get into trouble. They separates us. They divides. They implies an opponent, an enemy. They gets in the way of we. They gets in the way of love. And love is our calling. Love is our purpose. They, whether it is political, religious, racial, cultural, moral, whatever, is a poison that kills our calling, our purpose, our love. When we say they should be punished because they are doing all of the nasty things, well, who are we? Now we are the people in the crowd holding stones, the people asking for blood. Those are the people who were always against Jesus. If we are looking for behaviors to dictate rewards and punishments, we become enemies of the God of grace. Jesus was big on not judging people. Go read Matthew 7 and Luke 6. I bet Jesus talked about not judging people a lot more than he talked about the things about which we judge people. And one more thing about deciding who needs to be punished and who doesn't. It's another recipe for disappointment. Sometimes the wicked prosper. Sometimes God lets the bad people be happy while the good people suffer. It's kind of the story of human history. You can call it unfair if you want, but it won't help you feel better. And it does something even worse. It messes up our hope. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Hope, friends, can be dashed if the evidence stacks up against it. We do not live in a world where good behavior reaps earthly blessings. We live in a fallen world. Our hope is in the next one, and our hope in the next one is rooted in grace, not in behavior. Like Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 5, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I feel you, bro. I have too much evidence of this world to have hope in behavior. This world is a disappointment waiting to happen. Might as well keep our hope in the one to come and in the Savior who gives us peace as we walk through this dirty mess.
Nothing should get in the way of our love and hope, certainly not an idea that only leads to disappointment. Who are we if we don't love? What do we have if we don't have hope? So the next time you think about looking in the mirror to congratulate yourself or do the opposite, or the next time you think about picking up stones, I want you to remember this instead. There is no magic there, only foolishness. Also, there is no need for it. You are awash in a vast sea of love. The God of grace is not interested in blood. He is interested in reconciliation. First song today was the hymn Fairest Lord Jesus by our Triple C band. Our second song was the hymn Everlasting Arms performed by Renee Duffield. My friend Brad Warren brought us a word from several places in the New Testament, but landing in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Our benediction was from Number 6 by Christy Younger. Musical score was Harbor by Prague, used by permission with musicbed.com. And you are hearing this because of Ian Gerthard, a dude who's like that feeling you get when the red neon sign that says hot is shining right when you drive past the Krispy Kreme store. And our intro and outro music was, as ever, by the one and only Jed Brewer of The Bridge Chicago. If you have any feedback on any episode or just want to get in touch, please feel free to write us anytime, watertowerpodcast at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter at watertowerpod. Thanks for listening, and may the living water fill you up.